Do be seated. I said, my name's Craig, I'm the minister in training here, and let me add on my uh, welcome to Stephen if you are here visiting us this evening. And we are back looking at Paul's letter to the uh, church in Colossae. Let's remember, this letter, it's, it's about the supremacy of Jesus. And to grow as a Christian, we grow in understanding more and more of what Jesus has done and what we have done in him. In other words, to grow up as a Christian, we do so by digging down into learning more of who he is. I remember, as you saw, the key verse that runs throughout the letter, Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Let me read that for us. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. This is the big theme that runs throughout the letter. And one of the ways which Paul uh, teaches the church in Colossae about Jesus, about his supremacy, is using a doctrine we like to call union with Christ. But that what I mean is, if you are a Christian, you are in Christ, and Christ is in you. What this means is that when you uh, are saved, when you become a Christian, you don't simply get a pass into heaven. Instead, there's a union between me and Jesus. A union between Jesus and his church linked together. Well, that might sound great. What does that look like? What does this union in Christ look like in the life of the church? Well, that's what our passage is about this evening. If you have a Bible, please turn to Colossians chapter 3. There's a few spare at the back. If you don't have one, we are on page 1184. And as uh, I begin to read this, I want you to notice the way Paul writes this. This is quite important. That he writes, his logic is gospel indicative, followed by gospel imperative. By that what I mean is, because of who Christ is and your union with him, therefore do this. Watch out for that as we read through. So Colossians from chapter 3, verse 1. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. 
Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let me pray and ask God for his help as we look at this passage. Our Father, help us to further grasp this evening, we ask, the supremacy of your Son. Begin to grow in love and knowledge a bit more of the mystery of our union with him. And so may these truths radically change our lives, we ask. Incline our hearts, we ask to your word this evening, not to any distractions the world has to offer us. Open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word. Unite our hearts in reverent fear of you and satisfy our hearts in your steadfast love. We ask and pray these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. As you can see on the screen behind us, three key instructions for us from the passage. You are raised with Christ, so set your mind on Christ. You have died in Christ, so put sin to death. And you are alive in Christ, so put on Christ. Have a look at the first four verses here of our chapter. These, these verses sort of hang over the, the rest of the letter. It sounds great, but what, what does it mean to set our hearts on things above? To set our minds on things above and not on earthly things. As Paul saying here straight off the bat that a good Christian doesn't really think too much about their families, about their relationships, about their work. Does that mean that perhaps you go to the dentist tomorrow and you can tell your dentist is a Christian because they're sort of half dazing off thinking about other things? No, that's not what Paul means if your dentist is like that. Suggests getting a new one. Let's remember who Paul is writing to here. Paul's writing to the Colossian church who were under attack from false teachers. Teachers boasting about, about visions and dreams and seeing angels. I think Paul's saying here that it doesn't really matter if you see an angel. You have union with Christ. There's no comparison between the two. 
In the true gospel taught to you by Epaphras, you have union with Christ, who is above all. So why would you settle to think of anything less? So what does it mean then to practically set our minds above? What does it mean to set our minds not on earthly things, to protect ourselves from false teaching as we saw from the Colossian church? Well, it's by knowing Jesus. Understanding what he's done, seeing how blessed we are in him. We raise our minds by seeking to grow in, in understanding, to, to latch onto every heavenly reality and get our mind out of the parochial, finite existence we see right in front of us. And now just, notice how Paul does this here. He wants us to see how, how complete, how comprehensive our union with Christ is. Let me show you what I mean here. We are brought into union with Christ by faith. And look at the passage, verse 3. For you died with Christ. Our past is with Christ. Verse 1, you you have been raised. You are now raised with Christ. Your present is with Christ. Christ. Verse 4, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Your future with Christ. Our past, our present, our future is in Christ. Our union with Christ is complete, is comprehensive. I was trying to think, how can I... How can I illustrate this? And the only thing I can think of is um, perhaps like you who are parents as well, your kids have a number of story Bibles. Really helpful things, aren't they? Story Bibles. And you've got the story of Jesus on the cross. There he is. But never have I seen a picture of me beside him. You've got a picture of Jesus coming out of the tomb. Never have I seen me behind him. You have the the picture of Jesus ascending into heaven, the disciples looking up. And never have I seen in these storybooks a picture of me beside him. And yet Paul seems to be saying that that is exactly what is happening. I am there. If you are a Christian, you are there. Perhaps need to get mirrors and stick them into all of my kids' storybook Bibles to get this doctrine across to them. That we are in Christ. We are to raise our sights because that is not only where Christ is, but that is where we are right now in heaven with him. And that's hard to grasp, isn't it, if we're honest? We don't, we don't see that. We look around. We are here. We're in Dundee. And yet, spiritually speaking, we are with Christ in heaven. Therefore, your life is secure. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. Perhaps you feel like God is 
far from you. In your mind's eye, raise your sights to Christ in heaven where you are also. Because spiritually speaking, you are sitting right beside him. And one day, what is now hidden will be made obvious as we see in verse 4. When Christ, who is alive, appears, we will appear with him in glory. And if you aren't, I think as a Christian, this is hard to get our heads around. If you're here and you aren't a Christian, you're thinking, this is weird. It is. Let's just be honest about that. It is a bit strange. That's because when we aren't a Christian, we have, we have one perspective. What we see right in front of us. And when you become a Christian, what you see in front of you, it's, it's still real. It's still tangible. It still dictates how we feel. But there's another perspective we need to latch on to. A bigger picture that God in his mercy has shown us. A picture from the Jesus eye view. In the language of Ecclesiastes, above the sun. Looking down from above. And when we raise our sights to Christ, when we dwell upon him, and we look down from his view and see ourselves, we see a disconnect. We see things in our lives that we need to put off, put to death, as Paul says. Put to death everything that belongs to our old way of life and put on everything that is like Christ. I think the more Jesus is our focus, the more that affects our life and we see the more we need to put to death. Perhaps you're younger like me and you've experienced speaking to an older Christian. You think you're speaking to the most godly person you've ever met and yet they tell you of all the sin that they see in their lives because they spend so long thinking about Christ who is above. You're raised with Christ so set your mind on Christ. If you were to turn back a page, the second half of chapter 2, you see Paul criticizing rules the false teachers give Christians in Colossae. And yet, as we read down here, it seems to say he has rules for living as a Christian. See, the rules from the false teachers in Colossae, they they were intended to help Christians become what they aren't. What Paul's doing here is helping Christians to live out who they now are in Christ. You could think of it like this. One of my uh, old lecturers at Cornhill, he used to tell us the story often. I'm sure you might have heard it before. It's a story about the Queen. Uh, When the Queen was younger, she was off to uh, a birthday party with her sister, The Queen then, Princess Elizabeth and Margaret, they were all dressed up. They waved goodbye to the uh, the mum and the car was driving off to the party. At least that's what they thought was going to happen. When at the window, there was a knock. They wind the window down and then the Queen Mother leans into the car and says to her daughters, remember, royal children, royal manners. Who they were was to affect how they lived. 
And that's similar to what we see here with Paul. Who we are in Christ is to affect how we are to live. And look at what Paul says to start off in verse 5. Put to death. Have you ever killed something before? You would put something to death? I guess for many of us, it's a houseplant. Perhaps a bag of salads we never opened. Oh, that was comforting. I thought it was just me. How do we kill for these things? We forget about them. Your love, your time is spent on something else. So it just withers away, it dies because it's not being fed. Sometimes that's how we kill sin. But other times, it's more like laser quest. More like Battlefield Live. You know, two teams, dark room, laser guns. You see someone coming, you shoot them. Doesn't matter who it is, you see someone coming, you shoot at sight. Or you see a spider, corner of your eye, bam, you kill it, it moves. That's what Paul's talking about here. No prisoners shoot at sight. And look at what it is we're to put to death here. Look at this first list. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. These are sins of twisted loves. Sins which seek their fulfillment, their gratification within the body. Sins that all find their root in worshipping something else other than God. And to these things, shoot at sight. Look at the incentive Paul gives us. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Or as the Puritan John Owen famously said, be killing sin, or else sin will be killing you. And if you're here feeling alone in your battle against sin, I remember this letter is written to a church. I'd love to pray with you afterwards. I'd love to connect you with someone perhaps more appropriate within St. Peter's here. Things like accountability, it's really important. It's really helpful. But even more helpful is having someone alongside you who will remind you who Christ is, of what he has done, and therefore remind you of where we are, where we now dwell, and spur you on to put that sin to death. And if you are here and you read that and you are aware of the battle going on inside of you and you're thinking, I'm not a Christian, I shouldn't feel these things, Paul says the opposite. These things tell you that they need to be put to death. There's two sides fighting now. See, to remember, sin, it no longer reigns in us. Remember verse 3, for you died. Chapter 2, Christ died on the cross for our sins. 
Sin no longer reigns over us. We have died with it in Christ, but its presence is still in us. And Paul doesn't stop here, does he? Have a look at verse 8. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. You see, it's, a, it's the same strong language he gives you for speech, isn't it? Often we are, right, you're so quick to condemn sexual sin. And yet with those same lips do something just as condemnable. Kill it. And these things, I think they can be hard to spot. Many of us think are quite good at at hiding rage, hiding anger. It's often subdued and it comes out in other ways. And so we need to learn what does that look like in your life where rage and anger comes out? It could be that we don't, we don't fly off the handle with somebody. But instead we go cold. We ignore them. We don't heap abuse on somebody, but instead we talk about them to one another. Anger and rage, it can be hard to spot. Let's remember anger, it's rooted in our, in our attitude towards other people. This idea of rage, it's, it's agitation. Agitation when things don't go as planned. Agitation when things don't happen the way you'd like them to. Guilty. Kill it. Because in these things we are exalting ourselves over others. We are doing the very opposite of what Jesus has done for us. Anger, rage, malice, slander, attacking people's character, destroying fellowship within the local church. Kill it. Let's constantly remember this is to a local church. Let's kill it together. So I guarantee that you've loved things you shouldn't. But idolatry is a fight for you. I guarantee that in the carnaway home you've said something about somebody. We need to kill these things. Verse 9, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. A better reading here, I think, is the idea that you've taken off the old man. You've put on the new man, singular. Let's remember, as you saw earlier in Colossians, we are one new man. Christ is the head of the church. We are together, the one body. Hence, therefore, verse 11. Here there, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Why does Paul say this? Well, it's not that these extinctions, uh, distinctions don't exist. It's that we don't identify by these anymore, by what makes us different. 
We no longer boast about our ethnicity, our heritage. Our finances are are not being like those other people. We are no longer divided, but instead united together under Christ our head, who is all and is in all. What this means is that if you have been following Christian your entire life, or if you just became a Christian 30 seconds ago, you are equal in the body of Christ because he is your new identity. So what have you seen? We've seen that we have died with Christ. We've seen that we are raised with Christ. When Christ appears, we will appear with him in glory. We've seen that we are bound together in Christ. We are now with Christ in heaven, so by the power of his death and resurrection, we can put to death, we can take off the old man, that is dead, and instead put on the new man. We are alive in Christ, so put on Christ. Let me read again from verse 12 for us. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Chosen people, holy people, dearly loved people, Perhaps your your Old Testament alarm bells ringing as you read that. And you're right, this is the language of Israel in the Old Testament being applied here to the church because that's what the church is. It's the new Israel. For that, it's also how Jesus himself is described in the Gospels. Perhaps as we, we read those two lists, the areas of, of sex, of speech, Perhaps, as you read that, we felt the weight of our sin hanging down on us. For honest, we felt, we felt like scum. The accuser whispering in our ear, how could God ever love you? Do you really think Jesus could love you after how you messed up again over summer? These verses here are a tonic for the soul to lift us out of the mire. If you're a Christian, how does God view you? He chose you. He sanctified you. He loves you. Before the foundation of the world, knowing all that you would do, he spoke mine. And so regardless of how we feel, whether we feel as children of the king, 
which dress like Christ, dress like royalty, puts on our proper clothes, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. How do we do that? How do we put on that, uh, put on these things? Well, it's by growing and learning more of who Christ is. But it's more than that. The way you put on is also the way you interact with fellow Christians in the church. I wonder if you notice from verse 8 onwards, it's all relating to one another in the church. Let's be real, sometimes people just frustrate us. That's family, isn't it? As family, we bear with one another. When people frustrate us, we're patient. We bear with each other and forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven us. If you live isolated from others in the church, then you don't need this miracle, do you? We struggle with someone, so we move fellowship group. We step down from serving in an area in the church instead of bearing with them, forgiving them. You may not interact at all with people in a meaningful level in the church. See, church is simply something you go to, something you perhaps go to on a Sunday, you spend another hour midweek at. It's a spoke in the wheel of your life instead of the central hub. Or to put it another way, if you're here just for your Sunday fix of teaching, you haven't put on Christ. You are here to engage with the person sitting next to you. So hope is, as you read that list from verse 12, you read it and go, that is, that is wonderful. But that is incredibly hard to do. Which is why we need love to bind it all together. To help us live out our union with Christ. Love, love that is slow to anger. And abounding in love. Love that does not seek itself, but instead seeks the other person. Love that unites. Love that brings people together. That's what the peace of Christ does. When Paul talks here about the peace of Christ ruling in your heart, he doesn't mean some euphoric feeling that all in the world is well. Instead, he means that we are once enemies with God, enemies with one another, but now we have peace with God, peace with one another by the blood of the cross, which declares war is over. And what do people do when they hear war is over? They are thankful people. This is what it looks like to put on Christ. What else does it look like to put on Christ? Have a look at uh, verse 16. Let the words of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish another with all wisdom. If you were to read 128, you'd hear Paul saying, We proclaim him that is Christ, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. That's striking, isn't it? 
the ministry that Paul says he has to this church, he now says that every member has in the church with one another. It's the same ministry, but a ministry for everybody within the church. And how does that ministry happen? By singing. You want a ministry in the church. You want something that will radically help your brother and sister in Christ. Sing. Sing and help one another to set our minds on Christ above. Sing and help one another put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge in the in knowledge in the image of its creator by the truth that we sing. Singing is powerful. Songs are powerful, aren't they? It's important. What we sing, it's important. Uh, the rhythm of the songs, the meter of the songs. See, I reckon many of us probably learn songs before we learn passages from the Bible. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. If you were to ask Tabitha, my eldest daughter, what her favorite song is, she'd tell you it's Shotgun by George Ezra, but closely followed to that, all creatures of our God and King. Oh, praise him. Hallelujah. Then Karis, 14 months old, she joins in. Hallelujah. And it encourages us as you sing these truths to one another. Or read this, this verse and I think of my friend uh, Niv. Niv went to Cambridge University. He was in the choir there. And he has a voice louder than a ship's horn. Like this boy can sing. And when you're in, when you're in a conference with him, you can hear him wherever he is. And I love singing with Niv because as he sings, he, he looks around. And sometimes he makes eye contact with you. And as he sings, he smiles and he's singing in praise to God and singing at you and you rejoice together in the gospel that you are singing together in praise to God. So as you sing here, it's not simply a a me and God thing. It's an us and God thing. So as you sing, sing. As we sing the words of praise to Christ, we grow in understanding them. We encourage one another. And we do all this with a thankfulness in our hearts. I wonder if you noticed that as we went through thankfulness, it runs through our uh, passage here. Why, why is thankfulness part of the putting on life? I wonder if you've ever spent time with somebody who's faced death. Deliver such thankfulness for every day. How much more so for those who set their minds on things above and say, I am a sinner who deserves death and hell, but I have died with Christ. I am raised with Christ. And when Christ appears in glory, I will appear with him. 
See, thankfulness, it's the, it's the underlying response of all we do. Thankfulness is the, is the response of holy living. So perhaps like me, when we find ourselves moaning and grumbling, we need a friend to come along and rebuke us and say, lift your sights. Set your mind on Christ above. We may have three instructions on the screen for us. This passage is not rules for a life we want to earn. Instead, it's the grateful response to the life that we have now in Christ. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, our union with you is something so great. Something so grand, something so complete, something so comprehensive. We will never be able to reach the depths of understanding all that it means. The depths of all the difference it makes in our lives. But help us to grow in understanding these things we ask. Help us to be a church which encourages one another to set our minds on things above. To be a church that wisely, lovingly, caringly encourages one another to to put to death all that is like the old man. Instead to put on all that is like you, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, we love you. Help us to be a people who are thankful. Forever we may sing your praise. For you are the glorious one. You are our saviour, you are our king. So we pray all these things in your name and for your glory and for our joy in you. Amen.